And good morning, everyone. At nine minutes after five o'clock here on this Saturday morning, Orion Samuelson with you. And uh, just a couple of more weeks that I'll be doing this on Saturday morning and uh, uh, looking at that with mixed emotions because after doing this for six decades on WGN Radio, it's going to be a little different not going on the air every day to cover markets and agricultural news and uh, appointments to the cabinet by the president-elect of the United States. And uh, it's going to be a different life. And I do want to begin this morning by saying thank you to News Nation for the story they did on me last night uh, on the Nationwide News Channel. And uh, I do want to uh, thank Holly Spangler of Prairie Farmer Magazine. Boy, in one month or one day, she made me a cover boy and shared a lot of my story with uh, the readers of Prairie Farmer Magazine. So a special thanks to Holly, great writer, who is covering agriculture as the editor of Prairie Farmer Magazine. So this morning... Something that Max Armstrong has been doing as I get set to uh, wind up this six-decade career at WGN, he's been going back to people that I've worked with over the years in various organizations to surprise me with who they are and who uh, surprises me with uh, what they're going to share with you here on the Saturday morning show. So this morning, I'm looking forward to Max's visit with uh, Joyce Watson, who uh, back in the 70s and 80s got the Illinois Agricultural Leadership uh, Program going, uh, giving uh, young farmers an opportunity to expand their knowledge of the agricultural community worldwide and uh, concentrating, of course, here in the United States. So uh, I haven't heard it yet, uh, but I'm looking forward to uh, listening to Joyce, who is the uh, founder and the director of the Illinois Agricultural Leadership Foundation, because I uh, devoted uh, quite a bit of my time to that organization to get it started and to uh, watch its success as it continues its program to develop agricultural people, uh, generally younger people, expand their knowledge of uh, world trade agreements and agricultural production in various countries of the world as the members of the classes of the IALF have grown their leadership abilities into becoming involved in the ag leadership program and uh, so i don't know what kind of secrets she'll have to share with you but i'm looking forward to finding out so uh, the saturday morning show with you uh, and talk about football 
lot of football going on today. Various uh, leagues or various uh, programs that are going to be holding their championship games. And then, as I've been doing for the last few months, I'll start the Saturday morning show with the uh, coronavirus impact in the United States and the count as of this morning get this because it's quite a number that I'm going to be sharing with you more than 74 million people have been reported to be infected by the novel coronavirus globally and 1,674,000 people have died during this pandemic Infections have been reported in more than 210 countries and territories since the first cases were identified in China in December of 2019. Again, 74 million people have contracted the uh, disease and a million six hundred seventy four thousand people on the planet have died from it so you know my line always wear a mask wash your hands frequently and stay away from people because that seems to be what we need to do to curtail this situation and uh don't don't be feisty about it or anything because you're not only uh, opening yourself to an infection but people you love and people you, in your family that's why i'll not be spending christmas eve or christmas day with uh, children or grandchildren because they feel pretty strongly about that and uh, hope you do too. Fifteen minutes after five o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, and we're going to join Max Armstrong and Joyce Watson when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. Nineteen minutes after five o'clock, and let me say good morning to my good friend and compatriot for over 40 years, Max Armstrong. Well, Orion, I've enjoyed surprising you these Saturday mornings as you wind down your years at WGN Radio with uh, people with whom you've worked closely over the years. People like Paul Wallum and Lottie Kearns, our longtime associate, and Phil Reed, who worked with us on our uh, television broadcast for many years. And here's someone you worked with closely, too. The founder, uh, founding president, I believe it is, and chief executive officer at one time of the Illinois Agriculture Leadership Foundation. Joyce Watson, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Max. I am well, thank you. It's uh, very nice in Arizona, but I know that Illinois is having good weather as well. Well, I had to call you to talk about all of those years that Orion was involved in the IALF. But let's go back a little bit and talk about, first of all, what the foundation is. For those who aren't familiar with it, I I look over the ranks of the people who have gone through the program through the years, all of these decades, and it's almost like a who's who of Illinois agriculture. Yes, that's correct. And uh, they were always a a pleasure to work with. We, We chose out of a field of applicants, and we had great people go through. They went for two years and had various uh, experiences, including being interviewed by Orion. 
And yes, I'm very proud to say that many of those people today are leading in commodity groups and uh, owners of agriculture businesses and amongst the top uh, administrators uh, of big companies, uh, corporations. So yes, they're, they are um, doing very well. What was the curriculum like? What has been the core of the, uh, the courses, if you will, of the IALF? Well, we didn't want to teach them agriculture. We wanted to teach them agriculture-related things. But they knew production agriculture. We wanted to teach them communications, and we wanted to teach them things uh, that consumers were saying about the environment. Uh, We wanted to bring them into agriculture corporations and, and other corporations that were vital to agriculture. We wanted to give them the university perspective. So we did all of those things in somewhat of a different kind of curriculum than you'd think if you were getting a degree in agriculture. But they needed to be well-rounded and understand what the general public, their consumers, the people who were buying their product, wanted, and also what they understood about agriculture or perhaps what they didn't. And so those are the kinds of things that we tried to bring into the curriculum. It always occurred to me, looking at who had been accepted into the classes, that uh, those students were well vetted, if you will, that uh, they were people who were, in many instances, already doing well, or they had tremendous potential in their careers thereafter. We wanted them to have drive. In fact, one of the questions in the interview was, what's our return on investment with you if you're chosen what's our return because it was important to give the people who were funding us and and we were funded by corporations and individuals and uh agriculture groups we we had to uh give them back some of their dollars in intellectual um property if you will so these people uh we wanted to go on and I think there's a an individual that wants to do better, that wants to strive to do something not only for themselves, but for their industry, and those are the people that we looked for and found. It's a challenging industry. It always is. It has its ups and downs, ebbs and flows, and peaks and troughs, and uh, not everybody's cut out for it, but it seemed to me like your classes were well-structured to, to help finish off, if you will, some of these people who were preparing or were already in their careers in the early years? Well, we wanted to have a diversity in the, within the group, and that was diversity in uh, agriculture. So we wanted production people. We wanted people that were uh, from corporations like Deere. We wanted people um, that were from commodity groups, um, not only farmers, but people who were involved in agriculture in all different ways so that they could learn from each other as well as for the, from the curriculum. That was very important for us. So we looked for those traits. With my desk about 10 feet away from his for many, many years, as you know from your many visits to our office, uh, I, I got to see a lot of what was going on with IALF. And talk about Oregon's involvement from your perspective from the very beginning. When we first formed the um, foundation, we went to we, we were funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, and they gave us our seed money. And so they said to us, the first thing you have to do is look around to other uh, groups like this that have already started programs like this in the United States, 
and then you're going to have to find uh, some seed money to get started, and then you're going to have to find a board of directors. And so we put our heads together and said, so who in Illinois uh, would we like to have on a leadership board? And one of the first people, of course, that came to mind was Orion. And so he was one of the first board members. In uh, 2006, he became the chairman of our board, and he remained until 2009. He kind of had to twist his arm a couple of times to stay those three years. But um, he was a board member until uh, they designated him as a board member emeritus. So he will now be a board member forever. But um, very, very valuable because he gave me so much insight because I would, for instance, say, Orion, we need to pick the sites for the international travel seminar. Where do you think we should go? And one of the things that was very important was, are these people competitors or are they customers? And why should we visit them at this point in time rather than some other point in time? And he would always have such a good reasoning because he knew agriculture globally as well as statewide and nationally. So um, he was always a, a, a good source for me for that particular thing or for other topics in, in seminars. I would say what's going on or who's, who's the best person to carry this message that we want to get across and so on. He was invaluable as a board member. International travel has always been a part of the class experience, has it not? Uh, until this year, I guess, right? No, no, it's always been. They, they, well, this year we have paused the class. So the class was chosen, and then COVID came along. And so we paused the class. We had the first seminar in August as a sort of introduction and uh, beginning, but now they are meeting by Zoom only just as um, uh, it's not the real, the real program. They'll start the, new, the real program next August when we hope we have this thing whipped. Looking over your board of directors, I see executives these days, executives of John Deere, Caterpillar, Wells Fargo, Bayer Crop Science, Growmark, uh, Dr. Robert Easter, former dean and former president of the University of Illinois, and uh, Gary Bays, Washington lawyer. Orion really rounded out that bunch back in the day with uh, the communication angle, didn't he? He certainly did, and I, I always laughed and said to those guys, you know, I want to kid myself and think that you guys really want to help me out with this leadership program, but I know that the only reason you really come to the board meetings is to have a, a discussion amongst yourselves because you respect each other and you want to talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we had a wonderful, wonderful board of directors with so much knowledge from so many of those places that you just named. One thing that occurs to me, and I think you referenced this a little bit, bit earlier about other state programs. Illinois preceded many of them, did it not? I think there were some already underway, but not many before Illinois got its start. There were five that preceded us, and and that's what Kellogg presented to us when we went to a meeting to find out about the the whole um, organization or the prospect of having one. But we were one of the beginner beginners. Yes, we were probably in the first 10. And we formed in 1981. So, you know, that was a long time ago. The first class then was begun in 1982. They graduated in 84. So we had the class of 84, the class of 86, and so on every two years. Well, reflecting back on uh, your time 
With Orion Samuelson and with the other board members, uh, there must be a high degree of satisfaction for the role that you played and the opportunity to work with Orion in, in helping shape this program that has impacted so many lives, Joyce. Well, yeah. When you're going through your career, I don't think you really think about it because you're so busy trying to do it that you don't uh, take time to breathe and say, what's really going on here? But my goodness, uh, what a pleasure it was to work with Orion, to work with the other board members that you mentioned, and and work with the participants. It was so satisfying to interview for the next class that we did every other year because you didn't realize the talent that was out there. And um, it, it was amazing. You'd come away from those interviews thinking, wow, those people are really something. And so that was such a pleasure to work with Orion. As I said, I would call him <laughs> way more than he wanted me to call him, I'm sure, <laughs> because I always had a question because he knew practically everything. So if it was about agriculture, Orion probably knew it. To work with that caliber, uh, I don't think you you ever dream that you would have that kind of an opportunity until you have it. So I'm extremely blessed in that respect. It was not too many weeks ago I was on a farm in central Illinois, and it was a farmer who had been a member of the Illinois Ag Leadership class quite a few years ago. <laughs> and one of the things he mentioned was the interview experience with Orion Samuels and the media training, and that has come up so many times. That, that left an impression, Mr. Samuelson, on those People who've gone through the class of IALF. Joyce Watson, thank you for your contribution to Illinois agriculture through the years and for your work with Mr. Samuelson and uh, for joining us here on the WGN Radio Saturday Morning Show. My pleasure, Max. Thank you so much. Joyce Watson, founding president and CEO. Back uh, through the years, the early years of the Illinois Agriculture Leadership Foundation, Orion. Thank you very much, Max, and thank you very much, Joyce Watson, and uh, what a successful story that has uh, from her on what we've been able to do to build leadership beyond the farm and beyond the ranch and with organizations and with the ability to travel the world and see how farmers in other countries do what they do. And it's been a pleasure for me to serve with the members of the board and uh, with Joyce uh, these many years. And uh, it's a thrill to see the success of the program that uh, was founded back in, what, the 70s or 80s. We need more of those programs, and we're lucky to have them. Incidentally, this past week, I spent an hour on a Zoom call with alumni of the Illinois Ag Leadership Foundation, and I continued to learn from the members of the foundation. We're at uh, 531 here on the Saturday morning show. It's 36 degrees. We may have a little moisture today, but uh, we'll keep you posted on that. And uh, we're just a couple of weeks away from the Christmas holiday. Coming up, uh, Samuelson says, and some more thoughts from me for you. And when we continue here on the Saturday morning show, it's 24 minutes before 6 o'clock news time here on WGN Radio. And it's time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and 
I haven't been doing a Samuelson Says every week during the six decades I've been on WGN radio, but I have taken the opportunity to express personal thoughts and opinions on events, and I thank you for listening to them, and uh, I guess that will probably come to an end at the end of December when I'll be doing my last broadcast here on WGN. But on Samuelson Says, let me take a moment to share with you some of the highlights for me here on WGN Radio. Still need last-minute Christmas gifts? Blaine's Farm and Fleet has just what you need to finish your holiday shopping for less during our last-minute gift sale. Like women's Alfred Dunner fashion separates half price. Men's work and sport thermal crew or Henley shirts are just $14.99. Rewards members save an extra $2.50. And men's work and sport flannel shirts are also sale priced, just $14.99. Shop great last-minute gifts for the chef, like special buy 10-liter Chefman digital air fryers, only $79.99. Save $30 on Presto Pizza Pizzazz Rotating Ovens, just $34.99. Six-quart stovetop popcorn poppers are on sale, $17.99. Get up to 35% off Christmas snacks. And for the hard to shop for, a Blaine's Farm and Fleet gift card is always the perfect gift. Get great last-minute gifts for everyone on your list. Merry Christmas from Blaine's Farm and Fleet. Our stores close early on Christmas Eve at 4.30 p.m. and are closed on Christmas Day so our employees can celebrate. 21 minutes before 6 o'clock, and on Samuelson Says, I just want to share some thoughts with you on some of the stories I've had the opportunity to cover during my six decades here at WGN, although the uh, announcements that you've been hearing have almost been a little bit embarrassing, but much appreciated with the thoughts from the commodity groups and the thoughts from the uh, organizations that play such an important role in agriculture. One of the goals that I have when I came to WGN, to the big city, was to educate city people in our audience, and a lot of them certainly over the years, uh, was to educate them and help them understand. The question that I have been asked the most often during my career here, what is a frozen pork belly? And my response to that question is, if you've had a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich today, you have eaten a frozen pork belly, because the frozen pork belly is the part of the carcass of the hog that provided bacon. And during my lifetime, I've had bacon in brandy old fashions, and I've had bacon in sandwiches, and you can get bacon on just about anything today because it has become a popular food for those of us here in the United States. But the opportunity to work with people that I have, the producers of food, the uh, processors of food, the transporters of food to the supermarket has been enjoyable every step of the way because it's a talented group of people, from the people who put the seed in the ground, who feed the cattle and the hogs, 
to uh, the people who transport those commodities to the supermarkets and the processing plants. And I think we have seen with COVID-19 how important the entire agricultural community is because of what it does. I I used to say it's uh, the industry that provides us with nutritious food, but I can add a lot more to that because not only does agriculture provide us with nourishment and good food, quality food, prepared with care and taken good care of as far as animals are concerned because farmers you know i've I've had to say so many times why would a farmer hurt an animal that is a source of income in addition to providing the commodities provided and so i now say that uh, agriculture and the people involved in it provide us with food on our dinner plate, provide us with clothes on our back, provide us with a roof over our head, and now provide us with the fuel that goes in our tanks. So I continue to hope you understand what farmers and ranchers and food producers do and that you'll carry that message to your friends and neighbors at church at your job or whatever it is but thank you for putting up with my personal thoughts and opinions thank you for letting me do and share with you samuelson says we're at uh, 17 minutes before six o'clock news time here on wgn and you're going to hear from a very good friend of mine in the broadcast industry mr paul harvey he'll be joining us when we continue here on the saturday morning show one of the pleasures i've had during my six decades at wgn radio is to work with some of the great talents in broadcasting wally phillips uncle bobby spike odell and uh, Eddie Schwartz and so many people, Franklin McCormick, who uh, was always my lead-in to the Milking Time program in the mornings here on WGN. But I was so fortunate to be able to uh, call Paul Harvey my friend. And when I was inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame, Paul was gracious enough to do the introduction. And so going through some of the recorded files, because we lost Paul a few years ago, but I came across a Christmas message that Paul Harvey delivered decades ago. So let me share that with you right now, Mr. Paul Harvey. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men. But he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, 
began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first, he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there, miserably, in the snow. They had been caught in the storm. In a desperate search for shelter, they had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So... He remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So, he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction. Every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe warm barn but I would have to be one of them wouldn't I so they could see and hear and understand at that moment the church bells began to ring the sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind and he stood there listening to the bells Adeste Fidelis listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas and he sank to his knees in the snow Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully Merry Christmas. Oh, my good friend, Paul Harvey.
who used the pause better than anybody I've ever known in broadcasting. And good to hear him again, and we appreciate the opportunity to share that Christmas story with you. I know I'm going to run out of time this morning, so let me quickly get to a review of the markets with uh, Max Armstrong and Mike Pearson. Well, Orion, at the end of a week like this one, as far as grain producers are concerned, it's fun to talk about what's going on in the markets with $12 plus soybeans. Mike Pearson, who watches those markets on a regular basis and whose voice you've heard here for several weeks, joins me to talk about it this morning. This has been quite a week, especially after some analysts last weekend, Mike, were saying, all right, it's all done. All right, the rally's gone. And uh, guess what? It rolled on, apparently. It sure did, Max. I mean, it rolled on and picked up steam. Most notably, I think a lot of growers are getting really excited about soybeans. That's where this rally has really shown the strongest. And a lot of that comes back to continued strong demand from our foreign partners, namely China. You know, I mean, we continue to see China stepping into this market in a big way. They continue to make purchases. And that is continuing to help drive prices higher. The other factor, Max, that's come together that I know your listeners have heard talked about for the past several months continues to be dryness down in South America. There's a key growing area of Brazil, right where Brazil and Argentina come together. And uh, that is the the highlight, or I should say the the epicenter of the drought down in South America. And that same area is the area where we see most of the soybeans and corn produced down in Argentina and Brazil. And that area is really suffering. As of earlier this week, growers down there in South America were about 95% planted with soybeans in Brazil and about 96% in Argentina. So their planting pace has continued to move very slowly while they're just waiting for rainfall. Max, a lot of those folks are in the same position that uh, Great Plains growers were in here this year when that dryness kept on or crept in and then stuck around. And that's what folks in Brazil are dealing with. And growers in this country are really reaping the rewards as the purchases have to come to the U.S. Since you mentioned the dryness, let me just come to that for a moment. Is that a little bit of a background factor that we continue to see very dry conditions in the western part of the United States? And some of that has been spreading in recent weeks into the heartland of the country, hasn't it? It has, Max. You know, uh, you look at central Illinois, which has seen pockets of dryness throughout the, well, really the second half of the growing season, call it July through till now, and it does appear to be intensifying. And I feel like, Max, since since you brought it up, we're going to talk about it dryness in the winter. I have seen a lot of folks talking on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, you know, you name it, at different grain, grain marketing discussion groups. There's starting to be a lot of comparisons of this winter, December 2020, to December 2011. You know, I'm sure a lot of the listeners remember that 2011 was a very dry winter, and it was that dryness that helped set the stage for the drought in 2012. And when you get this kind of upward price movement in the grains, when we see corn and soybeans trading two, three dollars higher than they were just a few months ago, folks tend to get excited and they get bulled up and they start looking for anything else that can help extend the bull position. And I think we're now starting to hear conversations about drought. And I want to offer a pump the brakes to the listeners who are starting to get swept up in that line of thinking because it is still very early. 
Could we be setting the stage for some fireworks? Absolutely. You know, you mentioned Brazil. They're expected to grow a record crop of soybeans in Brazil, and they need it. They need all the beans they can get. They are completely wiped out of storage down there in that country. And... The 133 million metric tons is what they're expected to produce. That's what USDA has them pegged at. But a lot of private analysts, especially folks that live down in Brazil and Argentina, have been ratcheting that back. So we could see this drought conversation spin up, continue to spin up in South America. And we're going to hear it for North American crops. And growers don't get too swept up in it. Definitely use this opportunity to market. These prices, these rallies need to be rewarded. Could we be looking at $13 beans? You bet we could. Chicago's very own WGN. Oh, golly, I said we'd run out of time, and again we have. But thanks to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering work. Thanks to you for listening, and we'll see you throughout the week and next Saturday on the Saturday Morning Show. Ferguson for doing the engineering work. Thanks to you for listening, and we'll see you throughout the week and next Saturday on the Saturday Morning Show.